This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. St. Nicholas is an amazing saint, one of my favorites, and I didn't realize it until I had done some research on him recently. He did live a long time ago in the fourth century. There are certain things he did that gave us a real glimpse into his personality and his influence with heaven on certain issues. By the time Nicholas was a bishop and he was an older man, he had been released from prison during the persecution of Diocletian, which was one of the fiercest in in our history as Catholics of, of persecution of Christians. He was imprisoned, held there once Christianity became legal and Constantine came to power. Then, of course, he was released. And so he lived through both those times, the time when it was illegal to be Christian and they were persecuted into the time of legalization and the propagation of the faith under Constantine. So he's got this breadth and depth to his experience as a Christian that I think we all need to know about and tap into. When it comes to the communion of saints, they don't lose their influence in heaven just because we've lost our memory of them or because we don't have as much documentation regarding them. It has nothing to do with it. So let's look at the the things that give us an idea of his personality and then see how he might be uh, a person we want to get to know, a saint that we want to have as our elder brother in heaven advocating for us in this life. For one, we know that he was compassionate. When he was a young man, his parents died and they left him with quite a bit of wealth. And he had heard about this widower who had fallen on very, very hard times. And he had three daughters who were of marriageable age. And because he had lost his fortune and everything, and he was you know, practically destitute. In those days, you had to have a dowry for your daughters in order that they marry well. And he even toyed with the idea of committing them to prostitution because he couldn't support them himself and he couldn't marry them to anybody and there just weren't any other choices. And he was agonizing over this. Well, Nicholas, now he's not a priest. He's not, he's just a Christian. He was raised by good parents who left him with some wealth. So he heard about this. And so he tossed in the night when no one knew, he tossed in a bag of coins so that this man could find them. So the man found the bag of coins 
and he took that bag and he used it to be a dowry for his oldest daughter and he procured a marriage for her so she could have a secure life. And in the fourth century, what was available to women, it, it wasn't much, and that was about as good as it could get, that you would marry well. And if you had a good dowry, you could see that your daughters married well, and that they would be safe and secure and have a, a place in society. So we did this for the oldest of the three daughters. Well, this is interesting because Nicholas didn't initially throw in three bags of coins, one for each daughter. I think he wanted to see, now I'm speculating, but the events bear this out, that he wanted to see how the man would use the money. Would he use it for himself or would he use it to actually help one of his daughters? And that's what he did. So when Nicholas saw that, he threw in another bag and waited and of course, where he lived, word went around and he saw that the, the same was done for the second daughter. Well, this man who had the three daughters, he was wanting to know who this person was who was throwing in these bags of coins that was helping him in his desperation. And because he spent the money on his daughters, you know that he, that he loved them because he had, he had lost everything and he could have easily spent the money on himself, but he didn't. So we know that the man loved his daughters by his actions. And we know that that Nicholas didn't even know them. He just realized someone was in need and decided, compelled by the Holy Spirit, of course, that he would help and tested it to see that the help was used wisely before he added more of his fortune to it. This father, he's, he's like, okay, I wanna know who this guy is and I'm expecting a third bag of coins for the third daughter. So he stayed up at night waiting. And as soon as he heard the coins hit the floor for the third time, he ran out and he grabbed Nicholas and realized who he was. And Nicholas begged him not to tell anybody, but of course he did and word got out. And we know about Nicholas's generosity and all three of the daughters were, were married. And that was a very beautiful story. And I think about that. Nicholas, they weren't friends of his, they weren't relatives. He just found someone in need. Nicholas, you know, he becomes bishop. Then there's the persecutions. As time has gone by, there's the persecutions of the Christians under Diocletian. And he is imprisoned. And many of the priests and bishops in that time of history were actually, gave the ultimate witness. They were martyred for the faith. Nicholas was not martyred. He was kept imprisoned, and we believe that he was tortured. Uh, he is was considered by all what's what's called a confessor. So we don't think of that today. We think of a confessor as a priest who hears confessions, but a confessor in the time of the persecutions was someone who was not given the ultimate choice of deny Christ or or be killed. He wasn't, martyrdom wasn't given to him as an option, but torture was and imprisonment was. So somebody who endured torture and imprisonment, who endured that horrible treatment, they were called confessors. When the persecutions ended and Christianity became legalized under Constantine, he was released and he was revered as a confessor. So we have an idea from his younger years about his compassion, but in his older years as a bishop, we see this compassion connected to his courage. 
he survived everything that could be thrown at him except martyrdom. And so the man was fearless. He had a compassion and he was also fearless. And this is one reason why he is considered the patron saint for so many things because he helped people and he did so fearlessly in a variety of ways. And I want to tell you one particular story that is little known. And I found it so compelling. Nicholas was an advocate for people who are plotted against or who are falsely accused. And he was fearless in their defense. And this is how the stories, there's many of them, but this is two particular stories that we have that are documented in a ancient Roman fragment. And this Roman fragment is the oldest official documentation about Nicholas. And it's called Praxis de Stratilatus. I'm sure I butchered that. That's Latin. I should have someone pronounce it for me before I said it. But P-R-A-X-I-S space D-E space S-T-R-A-T-E-L-A-T-I-S. And it tells what happened. Remember, this time in history, Nicholas is an is older and he's a bishop. He's been released from captivity and it is the time that Christianity is legalized. Constantine is in power as the emperor of Rome. Nicholas finds out about a scheme, a plot against three innocent military men. They're going to take the fall for somebody else's crime. These men are going to be executed and Nicholas finds out about it. He rushes to the scene just as the executions are to take place and he stops them. He's fearless. He goes right in there and he stops it. And then he confronts the governor right then and there in public about his sinfulness and about what he is about to do and how deceptive he is. And I'm going to quote you. This is a quote uh, from the Praxis de Stratilatus. Here we go. Sacrilegious bloodshedder? This is what he's saying to the governor. How dare you confront me? You've been caught in so many evil acts. I'll not spare or forgive you but will let the mighty Emperor Constantine know how serious are your sins that you have been discovered and in what fashion you administer your princely prefecture, unquote. So he confronts him right there publicly. And so the governor falls to his knees. He recants everything, but I think he does it just to save his own skin. It's, it's not a sincere thing. And these three men are released, but that is not the end of the story. This story is so uh, interwoven. Whatever it is about these three guys, and you know, it's probably because they're good men. These three people, these three men must have rubbed somebody the wrong way. And usually it's people who are good that the others scheme against, you know, that's kind of how it goes. So you wonder about these men because months later, the same three imprisoned and accused trumped up charges against them, different governor, different place, everything. They're waiting in prison for what's going to happen to them. And 
they remember that Nicholas intervened for them. And they had not, they didn't know about him, they didn't go to him, they didn't seek his help at the first time that he helped them. But this time they prayed and they prayed to God that Nicholas could again intervene for them somehow. They didn't know, but they had great faith. They'd been saved at the moment of death. You know, the the uh, 11th hour and 59th minute, they had been saved from being executed. They prayed, and what happens? The accuser has a dream that night, and Nicholas comes to him in his dream and warns him, much like this warning that I just read to you, warns him against his charges on these men and against carrying out what he has in mind. And it's very forceful. Simultaneously, that same night, Constantine himself receives a dream. And it's Nicholas in the dream. So what happens? Constantine calls his officer forward and they have a meeting and they compare their dreams and they're the same and they're Nicholas were intervening for these three men. So Constantine has the three men brought to him. And then they tell Constantine about the first time that Nicholas intervened on their behalf and that they had prayed that night that he would also be allowed to intervene again. And so what does Constantine do? He sends them to Nicholas bearing gifts, asking for forgiveness, and all the charges were dropped. Now, there are so many other stories about Nicholas. He rescued sailors. Their ship was going to go down and he appeared and he would save them. And there's just many, many types of ways that Nicholas has intervened to save people. He convinced a captain who had a shipload of grain to deliver across the Mediterranean to leave part of that grain for his people who were experiencing a famine. And the captain reluctantly did. He was a little fearful, but everything worked out good. And Nicholas said, it's all going to work out good. And the little bit of grain that was given fed his people for two years. Nicholas is just the most interesting man. We get to know a little bit about his personality. Really, he's a saint for us to go to. I think he's a great saint. And just because it's been many, many years and and we don't have his writings like we would Augustine or someone like that. It's still, we know enough. We know from his actions that he has compassion and courage and that he petitions God on the behalf of the people that he loves. So I encourage you this Advent and Christmas, this is a beautiful time of year to get to know St. Nicholas. If you're having trouble somewhere, let him know about it because it seems like he is a man who cares about these things. And also when we're praying for our Christian brothers and sisters who suffer persecution, he knows what that was like. So we can pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in China. They're going through a really hard time. And Ukraine and also the Middle East. This persecution has never ended for the world. There's always someone that's going to persecute us for our love of Christ. We can go to Nicholas because he knows what that's like. And he endured, he was, remember, a confessor, and he endured the harsh treatment. And when he was released, then he was at that pivotal time in history where Christianity is, is spreading and taking root and will influence the culture. That's kind of interesting because we're sort of in a new apostolic age ourselves here. So I think St. Nicholas 
is a saint for our times individually on a micro and a macro level. It's been my joy to share him with you today. Pray with me. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Omdurko, produced at the studios of Matriday Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit matridayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MaterDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.